questions are gateways to people and it's people that are and connections that make our life so rich a pleasurable conversation is just such a joy and like if we can get there faster without going through um i don't know really boring things at the start like it's, it's talking lot. about the weather and politics yeah <laughs> and awkward conversations about trump that we know nothing about anyway yeah <laughs> so let me give you a few examples of what not to say um and I only know not to say them because I've said them so many times and it's never ended up right. working. <laughs> and then what I've found is kind of a better way that just makes so much difference. If I do get into that presence of mind of just listening, it's a lot easier and I have a lot better time than if I'm just like waiting there because I want to jump in and I want to make sure I'm having 50% of the talking time and get my monologue <laughs> out there. <laughs> And on behalf of myself and my friend, housemate, and now co-host Jemima, welcome to Ours Truly. Today we're tackling a topic that's been on our minds for quite a long time, the power of good questions. We chat about the ways questions help us jump straight into the good conversation topics, how we can use questions to connect with people, and whether the key to asking better questions might actually be listening. So put the kettle on, turn up the volume, and come and sit with us. Hi, Jem. Hey, Sue. How are you going? I am going really well. I'm very happy to be sitting here looking at your lovely smiling face. <laughs> we're recording this in a different position. Usually we're sitting next to each other, both kind of speaking in the direction of my phone, which is our very advanced recording equipment. Today we're in like the opponent slash companion sort of face off. Like I feel like we could be playing guess who or some kind of card game. Mm, it's yes. Like we're within arm's reach. We can both reach the middle. We could play snap or something. I was going to say chess, but I don't have the patience for chess anymore. Chess is a frustrating game. I feel like if people have these strategies, like if you know someone who has a chess strategy, you're already behind. Yes. The, and then yeah. there's the They're people with chess strategies you. and then there's the rest of us. It's just a whole nother level. It's a whole nother level. Anyway, that's off the point. <laughs> but I feel like it wouldn't take too much to actually develop a chess strategy. Probably. I used to know a couple of moves when I was in year two. I would enter the chess competitions at primary school. Really? And I knew the four move checkmate. Uh, but if that didn't work, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it was. <laughs> <laughs> if I got to five moves, I was in trouble. <laughs> Have you ever developed a knots and crosses strategy? Yes, yeah. But it all, always relies on the first person, the first two goes, one first go for each person, not going in the middle. Mm. Because if the middle's in, then it just ruins the whole game. I've only ever seen someone win or lose at noughts and crosses where someone goes in the middle on the first turn if someone just completely misses something. Usually they all end in draws. If people are both, if both parties are paying attention and someone goes in the middle on the first go, it's always going to end in a draw. Hmm. I'm just getting flashbacks to like sitting on the school oval and scratching knots and crosses little fields into my leg with a stick. Did you ever do into that? Into your leg? <laughs> no! <laughs> Draw it on us with pens, but not. Have you ever done that? No. Just really lightly. It'll just have a really slight kind of white mark or red mark, and then you do it on your leg. No, I mean, we'd like get a stick and draw it on the concrete with like the mud on the end of the stick. Wow. <laughs> Definitely put my body on the line for random entertainment while I was bored at lunchtime. I'm very impressed with you, Jem. I thought that was a common experience for Australian children Maybe who had school ovals. Maybe I'm the anomaly. 
I think the common experience for Australian children with school ovals is having a evacuation and everyone going oh, into the no. oval and then pulling up grass. Yeah, and, and all the teachers telling you not to pull the grass. But what else are you going to do in an evacuation? You have to sit on the ground oh, for 20 evacuations minutes. Evacuations are so boring. Anyway, how was your week? <laughs> Why are the most important things always the most boring? I don't know. That is a good question, which we will be discussing questions <laughs> later <laughs> in this um, episode. But before we do get to the main discussion, what is something you enjoyed this week? Well, this week, just gone, was my birthday. Yay, so, happy birthday. So thank you so much. I've reached quarter century status, and that means I've caught up to kind of our little friendship chase where I'm always younger than you, but now we're the same age. You're going to be loving that in a couple of years. <laughs> I'll be rubbing it in one day. <laughs> the rest of our lives. the tides turn. <laughs> well, now it's... I feel like we haven't changed yet. It's still nice to be a little bit older, like mm. to have your birthday first in the year. But I'm glad it was well spaced out because we could celebrate you and then we've got had a bit of time to work off the cake and then <laughs> we've got all my birthday treats. So, yeah, that was just a beautiful time. I mean, I think I was telling you it's the most celebrated I've ever felt on a birthday. And I think that was a product of just having all these different moments where we celebrated. So we had a dinner. I had the family birthday celebration which had two different dynamics with your family or with your friends and then you know having then a group thing at a park where you had more people and then like small intimate birthdays and then I'm going out to dinner with a friend and it's just going on and on and on and I just love spending time with all those people in my life and then on top of that like I would love that just anyway if I just had a good social calendar but on top of that they want to make it all about you and like shout you drinks <laughs> and write your beautiful cards with every word you'd ever hoped anyone would ever say about you and just I don't know my soul is filled to the brim that's such a lovely lovely phrase if a soul in its infinite nature could be filled by human things and love to that extent it is full I'm glad (laughs) (laughs) thank you for your part in that too making it so special and for your insane triple layer chocolate gourmet cake that you made that was just impressive oh thanks it went through a few mishaps on the way there i had to do two different baking sessions one of the cakes layers did end up on the floor <laughs> that's making it on the cake or not? no <laughs> kidding it ended up in the bin um but yeah it was good i think i was saying to you baking has been teaching me resilience <laughs> things just keep going wrong but it's okay that's okay Anyway, but yeah, I'm really glad you had such a lovely week. Thank you. Well, that brings us to another question. Suze, what's been beautiful for you lately? For me, I actually, I think I always seem to talk about um, like books or podcasts or audiobooks, but it's another book this week. (laughs) I was given a book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which I've been talking to you about um, this Netflix series, which I found by the same title. And it's by this amazing, uh, I think she's maybe in her 30s, woman called Samin um, Nasrat or Nesrat. And she basically is just trying to teach people how to understand cooking and how to master these kind of four elements like salt, fat, acid, and heat to understand all the recipes or like the foundations of how food works together, the different elements of cooking, and just to be able to be really confident 
and competent in the kitchen and it has these really beautiful illustrations through it and I am just so excited and I've read like 10 pages and I'm just loving it so far. So that is what I have enjoyed so much about this week so far. You have been talking about this book for... I actually have. I've been talking about it for months. You saw the podcast <laughs> and I even said when it was your birthday months ago, I said, Suze, what would you like to be birthday? And you said this book and I didn't get you it. <laughs> no, but you got me two amazing other cookbooks. I got you other cookbooks, but your amazing sister, I think, got you this book yes, recently. She did. And you came home late last night and I woke up and this book was on the table. And it is a beautiful book. Yeah, it is really pretty. It's got like gold on the front and it's really thick and it's really nice. Highly recommend. I think it's only like $35 from Target. So if anyone else is interested in cooking or getting better at cooking, go for it. Well, I mean, the first 10 pages are great. I don't know about the rest of the book. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Intro is good. Um, one thing that was really different about this, it seems, is that it's not just recipes, uh, which are, in a sense, things that problems that other people have already solved. It kind of teaches you the basis behind why those decisions go together. Why does that work? How can I make things that work without just following other people's solutions? Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually this might lead into the main topic of our conversation today because reading the foreword of the book, the author was talking about how she actually was a writing student. She wasn't interested in cooking at all. And she stumbled across this particular restaurant um, called the Chez Panisse in, I think, San Francisco. And she just fell in love with the food there and started working as a waiter. And then she started working as an intern in the kitchen. And the way that she was learning was just by listening to the cooks and asking questions about what they were saying, what they were doing, what the different um, changes they were making to the recipes and how that affected it. And then eventually through all of those questions and, and listening and, and learning, she developed this idea of kind of these four basic elements, salt, fat, acid, and heat being, once you master those, you can master cooking. And she asked one of the um, chefs, like, what do you think about this? Do you agree? And he was like, yes, like everybody knows this, <laughs> but not everybody does. Mm. But she came to that through asking the right questions. I think there's a special grace when you're completely new to something. For example, the job I'm currently in was in, is in the financial planning sort of space. I knew nothing about that. Came from again, similar to this lady, a writing background. But all the questions I had were beginner's questions. So I really went on that journey. And now, when I kind of explain to people what I do, I know the most simple terms in order to explain it, because I was the asker of simple questions at the start. And now that's of course got a lot more complexity. In fact, <laughs> tomorrow I am featuring as an expert on a podcast, another podcast, like a professional <laughs> podcast all about the profession and different legislative changes that I've just learned over this past two years. And I was telling you how just odd that is. It's that incredible. Just from that not being my expertise or anything, just being there and learning and picking things up and asking all those questions, suddenly you become um, a giver of insights to others. Yep. <laughs> it's like, I, I have no words. It's, it's a big change. <laughs> It's really odd. <laughs> it's gonna, you're going to be fantastic. But yeah, I think one of the reasons you are going to be fantastic um, is because you are so fascinated with questions and you do always ask such good questions and you're interested in asking better questions, which is why I wanted to talk about this today with you because I know asking good questions is such a passion project, I suppose, for you. And I 
interested to seeing how long that has been the case. Definitely as long as I can remember, you have always been a very good question asker, very thoughtful questions, um, and a very good listener as well, which obviously ideally accompanies being a good question asker, but it's perhaps not always. But yeah, I just really wanted to discuss with you how to ask good questions, when you got interested in asking good questions, the difference that asking good questions can make. And also, I would love to get some practical tips from you for myself and for everyone listening about how to ask better questions and and, and any hacks or hints or tips that you've come across in your travels and studies that would help us ask better questions and, and have better conversations. Wow. Where to begin? That was a beautiful <laughs> introduction um, preamble to our conversation. And I think when we come to questions and you know, we framed this already just with our enjoyments the last week about learning, asking is a posture of learning. We ask our parents questions because we're learning about the world. And that implies this humility where we're realizing that there's more to know than we know. Mm-hmm. And the context in which I've loved questions or been interested in developing that practice of asking is because my favorite subject is people. It's the other, it's this mysterious person that you've either just met or they're your neighbor and you've, you've seen a face, but until you converse, you don't know them. And you kind of get this, this is time you know, when we used to travel on trains when we weren't all working from <laughs> home, that everyone's silent in a carriage and everyone's faceless. But as soon as someone answers the phone and starts talking, they suddenly come alive. They become a person to you. There's someone who's talking about what they packed in their child's lunchbox or getting a sick note to, you know, the the child's teacher or, I don't know, having some amusing argument. (laughs) I shouldn't find arguments amusing, but (laughs) look, it it gives you a unique insight into what someone's um, inner world is like because it just humanizes you. And... I think a huge influence on this kind of meeting people has been my dad. So my dad is the kind of person who's really comfortable striking up a conversation with people. We're always the last to leave any social event, (laughs) as you know. (laughs) There's always that classic, bye, Jen, see you later, an hour later. Yeah. Or the parents are like, kids, we're going. And then we like wrap up all our conversations, dutifully trot over. And then on the way out, <laughs> they run into more people. They run into more people. And then you, of course, wander back over to your friends. And then, yeah, we're the last to leave. Because when finally everyone else has left, there's no one to talk to. <laughs> and then we go home. <laughs> um, so that's always been a bit of a culture in my family, I think. And even just casual interactions, like we used to go on family walks after dinner, someone would be watering the lawn. And <laughs> probably following on from dad, but one of my brother's, was kind of developing this question asking and like meeting people and his typical question was referring to what the person was doing so (laughs) jenny's who we don't know yet is watering her garden ah water in the garden are (laughs) you is that even a question (laughs) i think it's a bit of an observational statement (laughs) but one of the biggest things um you know, the first part of asking question is, you know, you're in a conversation, but how do we get into those conversations? How mm. do we non-awkwardly meet the fascinating people around us? With anything um, other than a hi, how are you? Yeah, or even that, you know, sometimes you don't really have a license to talk to someone. Mm. Say you're at an event, you know, we're all here to socialize. You're like, well, 
I think it's socializing, you know. Um, but there's other times when there's people around, like in the lift, there's no expectation that you'll meet someone or you're in a corridor or you're kind of walking the same direction as someone um, around the block on your, your route to the station. Like we don't have to interact in those situations. But when you do, it's so enjoyable. So observational comments are actually one of the biggest bridges into conversations. Right. So this is why people constantly refer to the weather. Oh, well, it's a common thing. Oh, it looks a bit overcast, doesn't it? The person mm. lives there. Oh, yeah, you know, I hope I don't get stuck. I'm, you know, I need to go out tonight. And then you go, oh, right. So you got a night planned. <laughs> and, you know, you, it's a bridge in like there's a, it's a non-threatening observation about something they're doing. Um, or something external to you. And by that, you can just gauge whether someone wants to keep talking. You don't want to force a conversation on anyone. That's just awkward for everyone involved. Um, and it's also why I wouldn't just randomly try and talk to someone on a train. Right. Um, I don't want them to feel trapped. So it's, okay. it's there's got to be an exit point for both parties. Mm -hmm. If, yeah. So no talking on planes either. Planes are different. I've had some fascinating conversations. <laughs> but aren't you like even more trapped than on a train? I met my social enterprise business partner on a, on a plane. Really? I also met, I was talking to this guy about um, the Sino-American trade dispute because he was in banking. <laughs> and then I asked a classic question, which I love, which was after we were talking about that for, you know, about an hour, because he was just a chatty guy. He was really happy to talk. Um, I said, so have you always been in banking? great question that have you always x have you always loved gardening have you always come to comedy nights have you always lived in sydney excellent questions backstories are fascinating mm -hmm. even if they just say yeah it's like i don't know it teaches you something about them um anyway he used to be an abalone diver what what exactly <laughs> and then the next question is like what is an abalone what, <laughs> i'm what assuming they're underwater <laughs> is that a Creature? It's a type it? of edible um, sea creature that they farm and they apparently have a really high um, selling value in Australia. So they farm them like you'd have an oyster farm, you'd have an abalone farm. Wow. And although they don't have feet, the part that you eat is called the foot. What? <laughs> is it like a, is it a plant? Is it an animal? It's a Oh, I don't know. I obviously didn't ask enough questions. I'm imagining like this little squishy round thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> I imagine it would be kind of like a hard shell thing, like a mollusky thing with this squishy underneath bit. So, yeah, questions are gateways to people and it's people that are and connections that make our lives so rich. I know when you get into a deep conversation with someone, I think that is my favorite thing in the world. You know, you're sharing, they're sharing, there's a comfort there, there's a learning about the other, where you prioritize them, you listen to them, and you're loving them by listening and prioritizing them. And I just think that's the foundation of all human connection. Have you always thought that? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent question. <laughs> um, this is something you'll find when you start asking better questions. People are not prepared for good questions. And they'll always say, oh, that's a good question. It's then you just, get a compliment and it just, you know, yeah, makes you feel good too. Well. I think, um, have I always thought that? I've always loved people. And yeah, I think from the simple how was your day, I think this is how we share our lives. 
So yeah, I think I have always thought that. Not always had the words for it, but yeah. Okay, so we can see that, or you've told us that your dad was this primary instigator of showing you how to connect with people, giving you an example of asking um, questions to connect with people, even if it's that observational bridge. Did anything in your studies affect that? I know you studied communications and, and you did a few journalism units as part of that. Did journalism studies or any other part of your studies affect the way that you've asked questions in any way or did it really not affect it at all? I didn't know how to comfortably engage with people for a long time. I think, you know, there's a level of surety in yourself you need to be able to like converse naturally or comfort. You notice that too around people that you know, you're a bit more silly, you're a bit more funny, you're a bit less um, aware of how you're, how you're coming across and guarded, mm. you're less guarded. And you're not having this third party you watching that interaction, yeah. which you so much feel when you're in an uncomfortable social situation. But with regard to my study, I did study journalism. Um, we got to go and do some different projects like court reporting. And I remember interviewing a police officer about a case. And uh, also on the side, I started writing for a magazine. And the first couple of articles I did were more like reflective articles. But then I got this opportunity to do a profile interview. And profile interviews is like, tell me about your life. And then just asking someone who's absolutely fascinating. The first person I did it for was um, a prison chaplain. So I remember going into this women's prison in Silverwater. I'd never been to prison before. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I know, have you been to prison? (laughs) You know, fortunately, none of my close relatives or friends have been to prison and I've never visited anyone in a prison. Anyway, so I was expecting we would meet up in the foyer or something. But no, I got walked through these big iron gates and like to the middle of this compound where there was a small building with like a little cross on it. And this lady pulled out like, there was like 20 keys on her belt. Oh my gosh. Um, and like swiped her high security pass and um, typed in a passcode and opened this building and we sat there. And I had my list of questions written down on paper. And... A list of questions never prepares you for encountering someone because we're not just, you know, a list of questions is something that you type into Google or you'd approach a research database, but people are people and with everything you say, you you pick up like an emotion in something. So I remember her saying, and this is a photo of my latest godson. And you think, latest godson, how many women in this prison community have asked you to be their godmother? of their child and she said oh five or six wow and she's got their pictures up there because these women love her and she loves them really authentically and so there's this unfolding and unraveling of a, someone's story and so i'm just there wide out i think i forgot about I've, of course furiously scribbling notes because i couldn't take my phone in um that was the biggest hurdle I'm so glad i brought a pencil but i was expecting to just record the interview but because of the high security nature of it all i couldn't bring any recording device so I'm like writing, 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 writing. But yeah, it's not even about the question. I think it's about the person and coming away from that um, because you'd asked these questions that were meaningful. I remember then you have that interview and it's it's in all its glory and messiness. And then you come away and you have to make sense of that. 
and you have to re-piece together in some kind of logical sequence an image of that person and like a narrative of their life and their story and then you're asking different questions of the question just like how would the audience um, respond to this and how would they best make sense of this and is this a logical order but then the best compliment I ever received um, was when people read this they said I felt like I met them I felt like I met that person through your writing and that was awesome like you could have that encounter and love it like I'm glowing while I'm talking this I'm just <laughs> living it I can verify her <laughs> eyes are sparkling <laughs> smiles growing wider it's about to fall off my face it was just the most beautiful thing and then thinking wow I can place other people in that seat with me and they can learn from this lady's experience and her heart for people and what she's learned off the other women as well so questions journalism the posture of listening and asking you know it's because we want to connect and we want to meet people and people are honored when you listen to them it really sounds like listening to that story you've your focus shifted from literally your list of questions that you have prepared to the person herself and then it sounds like that helped you ask better questions uh, as a result when when you weren't focusing on the questions do you think that's the case is, it, is that just for writing articles is that in general or I think that's in general I mean you know when we communicate it's so multifaceted so you're right now isn't you're nodding so I'm getting okay you you're happy to hear more you're happy to listen to me a bit further uh, you know your, your face is kind of peaceful so I'm guessing you're not in a rush you're engaging me in eye contact so there's so many other things here it's it's kind of like developing any competency right so with adult learning you first have you've got your unconscious incompetence so uh, let's say um, before you've learned how to drive a manual car okay. you don't know what you don't know I've never really thought about how hard it is shifting my gears and so therefore I don't know that I really don't know about it okay Lesson one, you move to the next stage of adult learning, conscious incompetence. Oh my goodness, I've seen my parents drive this 50 million times, but now I'm crunching the gears and I'm bunny hopping and I can't do it. And it's really frustrating. So you're aware that you can't do it. Right. The next stage of adult learning is conscious competence. So I'm doing this, but I'm really thinking about changing the gears, right? right? I'm really, I'm doing a heel start and I've got... You know the clutch accelerated in my mind and I'm like visualizing it all and I really have to think about it and then you move to in adult learning the fourth stage which is unconscious competence you don't even have to think about it anymore you don't have to think about it so you're driving you're you've got your gear stick going you're having conversation you're following your GPS you're not thinking about what speed should I be in to go third gear it's just it's now a skill it's now this kind of autopilot like thing and it's at that point where you can stop thinking about how you're doing it and I think if you look at all the stages of something even if it's like conversing or something like that I remember getting to a time where I thought gee I'm awkward in conversations like I asked a question and someone's like oh no you don't want to hear about my job it's really boring and then I remember thinking I remember doing a follow-up question saying no I still want to hear about it um tell me about it and that was, in that scenario, the wrong thing to say. They actually didn't want to talk about their job. It either didn't define them or they found it boring themselves. And 
I realized in those that's awkwardness that was incompetent. So you're like aware that you're not really good at it yet. And then you're kind of focusing on crafting better questions. And then I think I'm still learning, but now I seem to naturally not have to think about it too much. I'm happy to focus on someone and the questions I'm asking tend to flow naturally and I just love it. So you can get a joy about it because you don't have to focus on it. I think that's been my process. So how would myself or anyone listening go through that? How is there any ad- advice you can give us having gone through that process now and coming towards the unconscious competence stage that you can help us get there a little bit faster? <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> portray that I'm like this guru of questions because I'm not. Um, but I did go through the learning process just like everyone um, will if they'd like to. Um, I've read about it. I'm so fascinated by communication. Um, I did a degree in it, um, which I don't think everyone should necessarily do. Um, and look, that doesn't translate to making you too interesting at a party. <laughs> <laughs> but I think to start with is just think about what kind of questions you ask. Um, how can we not transform them, but just slightly improve them? Like every big achievement is a lot of slight improvements. So, you know, just chill for one. If you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so aware that I'm really awkward socially, just don't worry about it. Just think, well, what's one question I can practice this week? About a year and a half ago, I think I stumbled upon a really slight change of a question, um, which I shared with you before, but maybe we can just chat about it and and whether you've used it too, is instead of asking um, when you first meet someone, hi, what's your name? What do you do? doing oh it just it just lends straight into a job like what do you do for work um really typical thing to ask instead why don't we try asking what do you love to do that is such a big shift in what you're asking with just one word like that's just huge it's so different because when we say what do you love to do maybe some fortunate few would still say their job but for most of us our passions one, they're exciting for us to talk about because we like thinking about them. We like sharing them. Two, they're exciting to hear about. Like you're actually the one going to listen to the response to this question. Someone told me once they love cricket and then I could start talking to them about cricket, which I know nothing, hardly anything about. They're enjoying the conversation now. I'm enjoying the conversation. Like, is there anything more interesting than hearing someone talk about something they're super passionate about? That's so true. And if you were going to hear about any topic, you'd want to hear about it from someone who is passionate. Exactly. Yeah. So how about you, Suze? We've, we've chatted a little about me because you've assumed a posture of asking, which has been beautiful. So you're already <laughs> you're teaching <laughs> me about learn. it. <laughs> um, how has um, questions been for you? Like you've come from a different background. Um, how have you found the process of connecting with people in conversation and things like that? I have spent probably the last five years of, or maybe six years now of being at uni, trying like you to get better at conversation. I think I also, perhaps, perhaps this is a natural thing. Maybe we all kind of come out of our teenage years still feeling extremely awkward at talking to anyone except our friends. And particularly, I think people older than us, 
it can seem to be easier to talk to people our own age because we tend to share similar experiences, you know, rather than an observational comment bridging the gap, there isn't so much of a gap to bridge anyway. So you can just kind of discuss whether you're just finishing school or exams or holidays or pop culture or whatever. But I came across particular people, you were one of them. And there was a few other people in my life who I noticed that when I talked with them, I really enjoyed speaking with them because I felt like one, they were really focusing on me and two, they were really actually seemed to be quite interested in what I had to say. And it wasn't just a monologue on either way. It was a real conversation. Some people tend, and I've definitely fallen into this in the past, you're having what seems to be a conversation, like there's two people standing next to each other and there's words, but it's really just a series of either one monologue or two monologues that kind of sort of connect, but they're not really actually caring about what the other person's saying. They're just mm. kind of listening for a cue that can they can then tell a story about their lives and they actually just want to talk about themselves. So I think I was inspired by yourself and by some of my friends who were really good at asking questions and and therefore at having a conversation. And I think that was the first transition actually was transitioning from telling stories about myself as my primary means of conversation to asking questions about the other person. And then that gets reciprocated because that always gets to a natural, I mean, you've told me this in the past, it always gets to a natural point in the conversation where, you know, some one of the parties might be talking more and, and might have something more to say, but then they kind of finish what they're saying and then they turn and reciprocate and ask, what do you think? What's going on with you? What's happening in your life? How do you, what do you think about this? So that was the first shift. First of all, like actually trying to be interested in the other person. Secondly, moving from talking about myself to asking questions about the other person. And then, yeah, I, I, I haven't spent as much time thinking about it as you have. But I definitely did. I know we spoke about this. What do you do to what do you love to do question maybe a year ago. Um, And I did try that. I haven't been trying it as much, but right after we spoke about it, I tried it out quite a lot and it really did make a massive difference. And people, I always got that compliment of, oh, that's such a good question. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. It's a great icebreaker because then you have a fantastic conversation because people are talking about things that they're really passionate about. You learn things and it just makes it a lot easier to build rapport with people, I think as well. It sounds, I remember when you first told me about that, I was like, it sounds a bit awkward to say in a way, it sounds like too personal a question to use in a, I don't know, like a networking event or when you're just meeting a new person. But really like, whenever I've asked that question, I've never gotten an awkward response. Everyone's always like, gets excited and lights up and it's like, oh, great. Okay, well, let me tell you about, gaming or traveling or you know like I don't know building chairs or whatever they're excited about so building chairs I don't know (laughs) I was searching I was searching I looked at the chair in front of me that's someone's passion I haven't come across someone who's passionate about building chairs yet but if that's you listening to this we (laughs) want to hear about it (laughs) there have got to be people (laughs) yeah but you know what I actually really did appreciate having that tool Mm. of knowing okay well this is an easy way that I can change uh, just a a small thing and have a better conversation. So I'd be interested to see if you have any other tools in conversations in general or perhaps in specific situations that might help me. (laughs) Selfishly, I'd like to get better at this or or anyone else listening. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. That's really fun. And um, yeah, I think 
a pleasurable conversation is just such a joy and like if we can get there faster without going through um i don't know really boring things at the start like it's, it's talking about the weather and politics yeah <laughs> and awkward conversations about trump that we know nothing about anyway yeah <laughs> just skip it all get to the fun bit um yeah i think there is a bit of a toolbox of things that i've that have really helped me one of them was if you've never heard about reflective listening or understanding listening um that's one awesome way we used to have on the back of our toilet door in my parents' house, I used to put different study notes. So I, used to, I remember having like the whole door covered in chemistry notes at one point. But for about, I don't know how long it was really up there, but I put up a reflective listening sheet. And it was just, um, you know, every time you use the bathroom, you kind of just glance at it and maybe pick up another thing. But there's a few really important ones for reflective listening. One is kind of, summarize you know we all know the things you should nod and you should go yeah and you should go mm, uh-huh right <laughs> oh i see right not <laughs> but one of the biggest ones is to put out of your mind the next thing that you're planning to say so you're talking about this exchange of monologues which we see everywhere and some people even if you approach them um without something to say you know that they're just they're just talking 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 i've had 30 minute conversations with people where i've just listened right and i still enjoy that so much because i'm in those moments really pleased to learn about them really honored that they're sharing their story even if they're maybe repetitious or they're talking about something but they're processing something mm. um and you're an audience really to their monologue in those moments. Um, but when it is a bit more of a balanced conversation, when you can just kind of summarize, um, just, I suppose the essence of what they're saying every so often, and then just wait. And then the another big, so yeah, summarizing. So just quick sort of shows you that you're focusing on them. Um, and it also forces you to listen to them because you know that oh, soon you're going to kind of reflect back to them what you've been listening and, it's surprising, but that makes you feel so heard. And when people do that to me, you know, I can, I feel really heard, uh, which is something surprisingly that we don't often feel in a lot of conversations. So doing that, another one was leaving space for silence. That sounds hard. <laughs> I was just trying to leave some silence to like display that. I know, I know. I was trying to leave it too, but it was too hard. <laughs> Too confronting. <laughs> Silence says so much. Um, but when someone's kind of no, you're, honestly, you're telling it's like, about things, it's uncomfortable. It's unnatural for mm, me, anyway. I've heard this from journalists um, and different people. Like if someone's saying something, it's that you know when we finish speaking, we're still thinking. So if someone's telling you about some really hard thing, right? They've just finished speaking. You are just about to dive in with a. Even sometimes an anecdote, sometimes even if you're really trying to help them, an encouragement or a that's okay or something, just leave a bit of space. Just leave a bit of space. And it, of course, it depends on the context, but we're assuming if they're telling you something meaningful, it's someone you know a bit better um, that you want to support and be there for, or just to hear them, really listen to them. Just leaving that bit of silence. Often you find that you know, after just that three seconds, which feels like an eternity, admittedly, you know, they'll add something 
because they've just been able to regroup in their mind and you've left the stage for them still. Like you haven't dived, dove, <laughs> you haven't <laughs> dived in with your support act um, mm. or anything. You've just left some space. And whether it's journalism, that offhand comment afterwards is often so profound because they are then summarizing the essence of what they want to say. Um, so to get like that key line for a journalist, silence, just to allow them that space and honor them in that space um, is also just wonderful for connection. So silence, reflective listening, um, and of course, eye contact, engagement, mirroring, there's a lot of body things you can do. Um, <laughs> I remember having a talk to anyone who's like listening to this in future. I'm not trying to cheat like an experiment, but these are just things where they just build into the um, to what's happening. And then it often, I don't know, over time, I think I'm grateful that I've just been able to learn from people who do this well. And um, listening to interviewers, I get fascinated. Like if someone's interviewing someone spectacular, I'm like, okay, I'm appreciating what this famous person is saying that's being interviewed, but gee, that interviewer's doing a great job. <laughs> like I'm listening for great questions. Um, but you want us to know some hacks, right, about cool questions to ask. Yes, if there are any. Okay, <laughs> so we're coming up to um, there's a lot of people that are in between jobs. Um, there's people who are finishing school for the year. There's people who are making decisions about the next part of their life. One of the best conversational things that make things not awkward is cutting out assumptions in questions. So let me give you a few examples of what not to say. Um, and I only know not to say them because I've said them so many times and it's never ended up right. working. <laughs> and then what I found is kind of a better way, a slightly better way to ask that just makes so much difference. Okay. Okay. First example. So what are you going to do when you finish school? Wow. Did anyone enjoy getting that question? <laughs> did anyone feel comfortable and confident answering that question? Did you? I actually did, but only because I was the very rare exception who had a plan from quite early on in year 11. Okay. And so from that point on, I was pretty set. I was going to do law, but I was very aware of how much the exception I was. Like most of my friends, I think I was the only one who really had a clear plan and knew that that's what I was going to do. So mm. I was aware of how uncertain everyone else felt about their future. Mm. So, wow, you're probably the only exception <laughs> and the only person I've asked. The exception that proves the rule. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are, if all your friends are like, I don't know exactly what, <laughs> what they want to do next. <laughs> okay, let's use me as a scenario. I got asked this question a lot. Yeah. And my ideas of the future change every five weeks, um, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also there's a lot less certainty. Um, so one thing I ask is instead of implying a certainty on people um, or assuming, don't you dare assume my certainty. <laughs> um, instead of assuming like a clarity on people, um, give them the freedom. So instead of saying, well, what are you going to do next year? Say, what are your ideas for next year? That's such a, it's, it's such a small change, but it opens that question up completely. What are your ideas for next year? And yeah, cause you could still have three options on the table, right? Um, it just, and if they have clarity, they have certainty, they can tell you straight away. 
um, oh, I've enrolled in law and I'm going to be awesome at it. And I'm going to do that for the next seven years. And it's actually going to work out how I think it will. <laughs> and I'll probably be married by the time I finish. <laughs> like, <laughs> when you have exceptional friends <laughs> that just have certainty. So um, leaving openness in an answer, I think, is wonderful. And you also hear a different perspective. Because if you're asking for ideas... Um, you might get a few things and it's sometimes a little bit more interesting than maybe you're not really expecting a particular answer. Um, another one that I love, and I think we've got to wrap up soon, um, but another one that I love is the have you always? Yeah. Have you always done this um, in whatever scenario you're in? Another one is say you are talking about something really contentious and you're basing it off your own worldview so um, you might even be making a statement that's a bit crazy, like um, unis are awful and they don't provide any support to students or international students and um, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's like, it's a valid statement if that's been what you said, if that's what you think. But, and especially even in online arguments or things like that, where it's based on people's um, lives. experiences. State your statement and then follow it up with, has that been your experience? Right. It so opens the floor to learning from the other person, whether you, it just breaks down walls. You're making a blanket statement, <laughs> um, but you're leaving it open to someone else's interpretation. And that's just powerful. It shows... Um, not that you're weak, but that you are open. So that's a beautiful one. <laughs> Favorite hack, because if you're like me, you like free stuff. <laughs> um, if you're ever at like an open day or something and there's all these like um, different things or there's samples on the table and different things, sometimes actually some things you've got to pay for and some things you don't, are free and you never quite know. Um, like if it's a sausage sizzle at campus or something. Mm -hmm. Best question, and this is the non-assumption as well, is how much are these, um, whatever it is, sparkly pens or whatever. And, and that's rather than asking, like, is, is, this, this, is this free? Which makes you look like an absolute cheapskate. <laughs> um, I've asked Which this. may be the truth in my case. <laughs> look, it could be the truth, but it's no use disguising yourself as someone who's happy to pay. <laughs> and if they tell you that it's actually $5.50, you'd be like, oh, thank you for that informational exchange, but <laughs> if it's free, then they can tell you it's free and you're both delighted that it's free. So that's just a bit of a hack. That's a good hack. I will definitely employ that mm. at the next sausage issues that I go to. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I think that's it for hacks today. Maybe if you want to call me up, we can have a chat and <laughs> can practice each other's listening. <laughs> well, from the conversation we've just had, I would actually now be surprised if you had a whole list of hacks because it really sounds like that while some of, you know, these simple changes might have helped you move through those stages to when you're now really competent at asking questions and having a conversation, the real change has come from focusing on the person and not actually thinking about what question you're going to ask and actually just really engaging and being present in that conversation. And I think as well, if you do... Even if you do end up cornered with someone who just wants to talk your ear off, if you're not worried or thinking about something that you really want to say, 
that might make it a bit more bearable. <laughs> mm. Even if it's not, I mean, sometimes people are telling really interesting stories and Gem, you have an amazing patient heart, so <laughs> you can listen. But personally, I'm not always quite as patient. But if I do get into that presence of mind of just listening, it's a lot easier and I have a lot better time than if I'm just like waiting there because I want to jump in and I want to make sure I'm having 50% of the talking time and get my monologue out there. <laughs> but yeah, so it sounds like I'm going to try anyway to, to really focus on listening to people more, to engaging and being present in the conversation, even just picking up on those verbal and uh, nonverbal cues and body language and, and eye contact and things like that. And yeah, just not making assumptions in, in asking questions. Hmm. Has that been your experience? <laughs> you are the best student in the world. No wonder you like aced university. You know exactly what the teacher's wanting. <laughs> yes, that's it. Okay, teacher's pet. <laughs> would you ever just write essays in the exact way you were taught because you know you, you knew the marker? You would eventually write to the marker? You definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel that. <laughs> But yeah, that's been my experience. I think the biggest comfort is um, knowing that we don't have to be interesting, just interested. And that takes the pressure off you and actually makes for a really enjoyable conversation. Someone taught me that and I thought, yeah, that's true. Like sometimes you walk away from a conversation just going, oh, wow, I really enjoy talking to that person. Really, you've just talked about yourself, but they were interested in hearing it. Um, and we love it when people give us up that space and we can give that space to others as well. Jen, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you again today. I know we have to wrap up, but before we do, do you have a poem that you would be able to share with us? I do. I was absolutely awestruck just walking through the bush the other day and I came home and just wrote this poem. So with the context of the sun setting through the trees, this is a poem for you, Susanna. Oh, thank you. <laughs> is it any wonder that Eden was a garden? Our purest walk with God in the golden hours, unabashed in the glory of creation, as the breeze stirs the leaves and the flowers, as the mighty trunks and branches sing ovations, and the birds find rest in their limbs. As the sun's beauty sings exultations, the soul touches heaven and grins. That was really, really lovely. <laughs> I really loved that very much. <laughs> Thank you. It was so nice. And I wish everyone could see your face right now because it was just beautiful as you were saying that. I can see how much you love nature. Thanks. I do love nature. It's in my nature. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for recording with me today and having a chat and yeah. bestowing all of your knowledge upon me. <laughs> it's definitely a continuum. I knew more than I did, but there's so much more to learn, which is the beauty of life because learning is a beautiful part of life. Well, I'm and I need to go out and have lots of conversations. That's and... right. I'm looking forward to seeing who you'll meet in the next week and how you use those questions. And I'm pretty sure we need to give our poor listeners a follow-up <laughs> podcast on how to get out of hugely long conversations <laughs> once people realise you're happy to listen to them. 
<laughs> That's my next phase of learning. <laughs> Have you mastered that one yet? Well, I walk around the block for 10 minutes and come back like 45 minutes later. <laughs> and it's because I'm talking to someone who was doing their gardening. And I accidentally listened to their whole incredible life story. Um, so do you think you're at the uh, <laughs> conscious incompetence stage? <laughs> That's right. I'm realizing that I need some like exit strategies. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, exit strategies coming up in two years once Shem's figured out how That's to actually right. finish the conversation. <laughs> we'll touch back on this one. The conversation continues. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's all from us at Ours Truly. Bye!